Okay, welcome to our Owen podcast, podcast for the Ontario Animal Health Network. I'm Dr. Cynthia Miltzberg, and I'm the co-lead of the Bovine Owen Network. And today I have joining me Dr. Jessica Gordon. Dr. Gordon is a veterinarian and assistant professor in ruminant health management at the University of Guelph. Welcome, Jessica. Thanks. It's good to be here. Thanks for having me. Great. Jessica's research focuses on metabolic diseases in dairy cattle and beef health management. And today she's joining us to talk about a recent surveillance project that the Bovine Owen Network undertook um, regarding parasites. So thank you for joining us and thank you for giving us an update on the project. Let's start with just this, this project looks at parasites in cattle and um, what, what parasites are we talking about when we, when we refer to parasites in cattle and, and the ones that we're concerned about? So it is important to think about what parasites you are worried about in a particular farm. So this project looked at gin parasites or gastrointestinal nematodes. The reason we call them gin or sometimes you'll hear them referred to as roundworms is because on a fecal we can't tell the difference between most of the species. So we don't have the ability to distinguish if it's um, say an ostertasia or a homunculus what just on a fecal you have to go um, and actually grow those parasites out now certainly there are other important parasites of cattle like um, coccidia and external parasites like lice and so it is important to think about what particular type of parasite are you are you um, worried about when you start investigating in a herd in, in Canada, we're normally thinking about Ostertasia, Ostertasia, uh, Cuperia, Oncophora, or Punctata, um, as well as Nematodirus uh, helvetianus, which is a lot of big words and big mouthfuls. Um, the big thing to understand if you do work with cattle and small ruminants is that we don't tend to see a lot of homunculus in cattle. And so that means that our, um, the parasite or the results of parasitism are much less severe than you see in a lot of small ruminant species. So for example, because sheep tend to have a lot of homunculus, you'll see a lot of death and, you know, uh, bottled jaw and that sort of thing, and we just don't see that frequently um, in cattle because we don't see as much uh, homunculus in our climate. It is interesting to note that we have been starting to see a bit of homunculus pop up um, through some of the work that we've been doing across the country. And so potentially as you know, climate change and as we get resistance and movement of cattle from all over, that might become a bigger player in uh, cattle parasitism. But at least right now, we don't see, see a ton of it. The, the main thing when you're thinking about pa internal parasites of cattle or gin parasites is to think to think about how are parasites transmitted from one animal to another. So it is important to understand that pasture is required for this transmission. So the adult parasites will be somewhere in the gastrointestinal um, system of the, of the cow or calf. Uh, and the adult lays eggs, which are then released into the feces of the animal. They are 
present on pasture and then they hatch and grow into larvae and as they mature as the larvae mature to an L3 or third stage larvae they sort of come out of the fecal patch move up the the grass and that's when cattle ingest those L3 or ingest or infective stage larvae it's so Cattle that are housed entirely indoors, we don't see gin problems with. Um, cattle so that are housed in a, a, a situation where they don't have pasture, so something like a dry lot, so a feedlot would be a really good example. We don't see transmission in those areas, but certainly all those feedlot animals were likely pastured at some point, and so they could have picked up parasites at that time and brought them to the feedlot. We just don't see transmission between individuals. Okay. So you mentioned there that, you know, we see more severe signs in small ruminants um, with parasite, uh, gastrointestinal nematode parasite infection compared to cattle. What, what are the signs that we see in cattle or what are the effects or their production effects or losses associated with the infection? Yeah, so we can see we can see really severe signs like we do see in small ruminants. Um, we can see things like bottle jaw, emaciation, um, really loose manure. All those things are possible and are really common in more temperate areas where they have a continual transmission and and continual uh, good environment for the parasites to grow. In our environment, we don't tend to see those, though it certainly is possible. We do notice some production um, impacts from parasitism. It's an area where there's a lot of new research going because we don't know exactly what we're seeing that can, if it's the same now as it has been in the past or if it's the same here as it is, say, in the southern U.S. where a lot of this research is done. And so there's a lot of renewed research in Canada to look at what are the losses that we are seeing. So some losses that we might be thinking about are decreased reproductive efficiency in cows, um, decreased milk production, like on dairy in dairy cattle or even beef cattle that are out on pasture, and then decreased weight gain in calves. It is really important to note that in our relatively good pasture area here in Ontario, with relatively low parasite burdens, it may be that those uh, changes in production are really not significant or not present at all, that we have the ability to have this good nutrition for the cows that can overcome those slight um, issues that we see with parasitism. So for example, we did a study that was done, I guess about seven years ago now, where we did look at parasite uh, levels across the entire grazing season for a cow-calf operation. And we did not see any changes in cow health, in cow weight, in calf weight or rate of gain, um, regardless of you know, the level of parasitism. So it could be that we, we are actually not seeing those changes. It's been pretty obvious that in the feedlot, it does decrease uh, how efficiently they can gain weight. Um, and some of that research has been done in Canada with Canadian uh, cattle as well. So that's 
that stands pretty well, but it's a little bit up in the air what exactly we are seeing or what we might see in a cow-calf operation. So it's important to know sort of the continuum that's possible, but understand that a lot of operations, you're probably not really going to see anything. Okay. Well, that's a great introduction to understand what parasites we're talking about and, and what concerns we have with them. How about we jump over to the study that was conducted um, by you for the Ontario Animal Health Network? Um, can you describe what kind of sampling we had in that in that study for us? Sure. So we asked producers or vets, I guess, to submit um, fecal samples from their producers. And we just had them take a convenient sample. So basically anyone who wanted to submit a sample um, could. And they could submit a few samples per farm. We asked that either an individual sample be taken or that uh, a pooled sample of up to 10 animals could also be submitted. So if a, a herd had a, a particular pasture group, um, the vet may have selected one animal from that group to submit or may have selected uh, fe feces from multiple animals, combined them and submitted them as, an, as one composite sample. Um, we didn't ask anything other than the animals be pastured so that they have, you know, a chance of being parasitized because of that required piece of, um, of, the, of the system there. Uh, but it definitely was a convenient sample for those who are interested in knowing more about uh, the parasite levels on their farm. We did fecal egg counts um, for the test, and then we um, released those back to the producers and the vets. And then we also asked about their parasite control, so if they had given any anthelmintic, um, just out of interest for us as far as the, the research trial goes. And, and what were the major findings? Like how many producers for veterinarians, producers participated, let's say, and, and what were the major findings? So we had 100 samples that were submitted that were 50, uh, represented 54 different producers. And it was a pretty even mix between beef and dairy. Uh, so in dairy, definitely it tended to be more younger animals represented. Um, but in beef and, and even in dairy, we did have run the gamut from calves all the way through mature cows. Um, the big thing here was really not surprising in that most of our samples were quite low in fecal egg count. So we anticipate that a lot of times cattle samples will be less than 20 eggs per gram. So that's quite low if you're used to dealing with small ruminant samples, which tend to be in the multiple hundreds eggs per gram. Um, so most of our samples were below that range. Um, we consider above 20 to be at a stage where we start worrying a little bit about whether we are seeing some economic impacts of parasitism. Um, and so we had about 25% of our samples that were above that 20 egg per gram cutoff. And that was true both in beef and dairy. There really wasn't a difference between the two, uh, the two commodities. Um, 
we also found lots of other things. So lots of coccidia, <laughs> probably not surprising at all, um, as well as some tapeworms and some other gin species that we can actually tell the difference on eggs. So um, things like uh, trickle strongyles can you can distinguish um, the egg from, and and so there was some of that present. Now remembering that gin. We classify them as a group because we have no ability to distinguish one from another. So that is something to keep in mind if you look at specific results of this project. So say you had a herd that submitted. Um, we did have a sample that was up around 100. It is important to note that should that herd be one that happens to have homunculus, we would anticipate that level to be around 100, and that's actually a relatively low level for a homunculus species. So it would be really nice if we were able to know what species of parasite is present. Um, the labor that is required to be able to do that is quite high um, and it's a relatively expensive test. So fecal egg count gives us a bit of information, but certainly if you're having an issue in the herd, you want to go dig a bit deeper. Okay, thanks for that. It's important to understand the type of test that was that was done. So we took this sample, we had 100 farms participate. Do you think you can say based on that evidence that the uh, level of parasitism is low in the province? Is it a good sample to make a conclusion like that? Or is there a better type of um, research project that would tell you that? Yeah, so it was pretty much what we anticipated, relatively low. Um, and across the province is a little bit harder to state. Uh, most of our samples came from southwestern Ontario um, and a fair chunk from eastern as well. Probably not surprising, that's where most of the cattle are, so not too shocking, but certainly underrepresented were our northern folks. So it's hard to know exactly what's going on in northern Ontario. I think we only had one or two submissions from northern Ontario. It's possible that things are much different in northern Ontario just because of the climate situation. Um, it's possible that it's the same too, so it's a little bit hard to say. Um, certainly our sampling is it was useful because it got us lots of samples from lots of different farms so we can make a little bit more of a generality compared to sampling say 10 specific farms. Um, and we can say that overall it looks like across the province is relatively low as far as parasitism goes. But knowing that a particular farm certainly could still have an issue, even in the area that's well represented from our um, from our sample. Okay, thank you for that. That's important to understand. So, how concerned should our veterinarians and and our bovine practitioners, our bovine producers, be about parasitism at this point? I think the bigger maybe question is actually how concerned should they be in the future? So that's a little bit getting away from your question okay. for sure. But I guess the thing is that overall we know right now that parasitism in cattle tends to be low in our climate. We don't um, we don't tend to see overwintering that we 
uh, to a, a high extent, certainly. Um, there is evidence that overwintering can occur definitely in the field, um, in the pasture. For sure, overwintering can occur in mature cows. And so as we get more information on that particular area, it may change our opinion a, a little bit about how important we think it is. But right now, we think that parasitism is a relatively low problem for most uh, cattle areas in Ontario. So the question is then about control and why did I say that the more important thing is in the future? And that really just comes to, you know, if we have a low level of parasitism right now and we're using anthelmintics at a relatively low level of paras parasitism, does that affect our future use of those anthelmintics? Um, and the short answer to that question is, Yes. So anytime a parasite is presented with an antimentic, it has the chance of becoming resistant. And certainly when you treat an animal with an antimentic, then the resistant parasites are the ones that are left over. And so you get this um, potential issue where you have nothing but resistant parasites on your farm if as climate changes, you know, if it gets warmer, if... Um, we see less harsh winters, then that could potentially lead to really significant health as well as economic impacts in the future. Um, if we haven't sort of saved some of that enzymatic use for when it's really, really needed. Now there's a really good study going on right now in Western Canada, um, looking at some of these economic impacts of parasites. So it's pretty well uh, documented what the impacts are in small ruminants, even in Ontario, even in our more um, temperate climates. But it's not really well documented in cattle. So most of the research, like I mentioned, is actually from the U.S. in a, um, in a warmer climate. And you will see more parasitism in those climates as well. So it's hard to know exactly what sort of impacts we're having in our climate. So I'd say right now we think it's probably not a big problem. And there's probably a lot of cattle that are experiencing no economic loss or health loss from parasitism parasitism, but sort of keep your ear out for more information coming in the next couple of years to refine that a little bit for us. Okay, that's a good, that's a good um, uh, segue into, you know, what should we feel, be doing for parasites right now based on the situation and understanding that it might change. So, you know, many producers will use the same parasite control program years and year after year. How do they know if it's working? What can we what can we look at to know if parasites are um, there or if they're even resistant to the program that's in place right now? Yeah, so there's a few things there. So one is certainly if you're not using a parasite control now and you haven't had issue, I wouldn't run out to the store and buy some or I guess to the vet clinic and buy some um, because you likely don't need it. Certainly, you can do a spot test on your farm to see what the level of parasitism is in the herd to know if you need to treat or not. So that would be similar to what we did in the trial where you just take a sample of manure 
viewer, it's actually best to do it at peak time, which would be around July for us in Ontario, because uh, it'll give you the highest level of parasitism um, that you have sort of over the year. Um, so you can do a spot check. You can see how much, um, how many or what level of parasitism you're seeing in the herd. You can certainly do it now as well before you turn the cattle out to pasture. Um, and if that's quite low, then you may consider maybe you don't need an anthelmintic. Um, a lot of anthelmintic use in many herds tends to be in the fall. It's a convenient time. You're preg checking the cows. You know you're you're pouring them uh, to try and decrease lice as well. Um, interestingly, not specific to this trial, but there have been lots and lots of um, anecdotes from all over the country that lice are becoming resistant to our anthelmintics. So we know as well that there's lots of evidence of resistance to ivermectins at least um, in internal parasites. So if you're using this uh, ivermectin or poron in the fall, um, you're not maybe gaining the most benefit out of it if it's not controlling the lice uh, and then you're potentially leaving resistant parasites present in the cattle. Um, and what happens then is they overwinter in the mature cows, they, the mature cows go back out to the pasture uh, and they start shedding eggs and then the calves pick them up and they you know, produce lots of, lots more parasites. Uh, so some people have suggested that actually deworming in the spring might be a little bit better because in the fall cattle or the parasites are going into a state of hypobiosis. So that's decreased growth um, and can even sometimes evade some of the anthelmintics depending on their mechanism of action versus in the spring, they're starting to come out of that state. They're starting to become more active. The parasites that is are becoming more active. A and so if you give an anthelmintic at that time, you're actually um, more likely to get a better uh, result from that anthelmintic use. Um, what else can a producer do or what can a vet recommend? And that is to do a fecal egg count reduction test. So what you do for that is you take an animal um, or group of animals and you take a fecal sample. It can be from the group. It doesn't have to be the specific animal before and after. Um, but if you're not gonna use a specific animal, then you wanna make it a group sample. So at least 10 animals um, represented. Take that fecal sample, treat the animals with an anthelmintic, Make sure you're treating them appropriately, so using it per label directions and at, for the appropriate weight. So a, a scale is really the ideal way to do this, to be really accurate with your fecal egg count reduction test. Once you treat with your anthelmintic of choice, two weeks later you come back and collect another fecal sample. Again, this can be collected from the group. So to make it a little bit easier in terms of labor, you can take your fecal sample at the same time as you're treating, and then you only have to run the animals through the chute one time. You can take your, your second sample just from the pasture, from fresh fecal, fecal pats in the pasture, um, and then submit 
both of those for a Wisconsin method um, fecal egg flotation. It is really important in cattle that you use the Wisconsin method because they have relatively low egg counts um, and some of the other metho methods only have a uh, detection down to 50 um, eggs per gram and if you look at majority of our herds they're much less than 50 eggs per gram so it's really really important that you ask for the Wisconsin method if you're doing cattle um, if you look at before the egg counts before versus the egg counts after anthelmintic use you should see a 95 percent reduction in fecal egg count now that's a little tricky when your first egg count is two you know, if your second egg count is one, how relevant is that, right? So it's, you gotta take it a little bit with a grain of salt, but you should overall see a 95% reduction. If you can do this, again, in the highest time of parasitism, so around July, that's the ideal time. So if you have a herd that you really think is struggling with parasites, absolutely do this during the summer months. I know it's extra work, but it's worth it in those situations. Otherwise, try that spot test, see what you get, you know, and consider, um, consider what you think needs to be done for anthelmintic use based on that spot test. That's great. That's some really good information for veterinarians on how to approach this in the higher risk herds. So to wrap up then here, what, what are the, your best um, management recommendations at this point for pastured cattle um, to avoid developing resistance to anthelmintics? Like should all the cattle on the farm be treated or what would your kind of top three be for veterinarians and producers? One thing to keep in mind when you're talking about anthelmintic resistance is that it likely can develop relatively quickly. So for example, we did the study we did about seven years ago, we saw our cattle develop resistance, or the parasites, I guess, re develop resistance to an anthelmintic in just over two years. So it is possible if something has been working that it's not working on the farm anymore. So what, what can we do to help decrease that? And one of the biggest things we can do is decrease our use of anthelmintics. So old way of thinking was give multiple dewormers to everybody, basically try and wipe out every single parasite that's present, um, and that will control our, our parasitism. Uh, it works for a while until you get that one parasite that is resistant, and now you wipe out everything except for that resistant parasite, and now you have multi-drug resistant parasites on your farm. Instead, what we'd like to see is what we call uh, refugia. So what that means is leaving some portion of the parasite population not that's not exposed to anthelmintics. So if you think you need to use anthelmintics in a herd or recommend to a herd that they use them, then absolutely, you know, you want to do what's best for the health um, of the animal. But consider targeting your treatment to those animals that are more likely affected. So a good example of how to do this would be to treat only calves or calves and yearlings and to leave mature cows untreated. What this does for us is it allows some percentage of the parasites that are present to still be susceptible to that anthelmintic. And what you can see then is that 
So let's back up and say we treated everybody with an anthelmintic, including the mature cows. And now we have only resistant parasites present in the cows. They go out to pasture the next year. The only type of uh, egg that's present now is a resistant egg because those resistant parasites will pass that down onto their offspring. So now resistant eggs are present on the pasture. Those hatch into resistant larvae which are then resistant mature parasites in the cattle. And now the cattle are full, full of nothing but resistant parasites, and so your use of whatever anthelmintic they're resistant to is, is useless because you just can't overcome that genetic resistance. If we leave some of those animals untreated, now the pasture has eggs from both resistant and susceptible parasites present. So the cattle grazing that pasture will pick up both resistant and susceptible parasites. Then when you deworm those high-risk populations, you're gonna remove the susceptible ones and decrease their parasite burden overall. Yes, they will still have some parasites present, but you're decreasing the burden to a level that they can manage on their own with their own immune system um, or, you know, good nutrition sort of being able to overcome that low level of parasitism. Uh, mature cows also develop some level of resistance um, just as they get older. We see that in, in many species. And so that's another reason why leaving those mature cows untreated, those cows are unlikely to, to experience uh, full-blown clinical parasitism. And so that's a, a good host to leave untreated uh, to present those uh, uh, susceptible parasites to the pasture. And again, as we learn more, we're seeing that there's likely some overwintering of these parasites um, in, in pastures. And so doing things like, you know, rotating your pasture use, um, decreasing your stocking density on your pasture, or, you know, if you're using a, um, a rotational grazing operation, your stocking density is likely relatively high, but you're using it for a shorter period of time. Um, the larva will hatch and will come out, and if there's not cattle to scoop them up and, and eat them, then they'll dry out and die. And so, you know, time between pasture use can also help decrease some of, some of that um, parasite burden. So I guess the big three is when you're, um, treating cattle, consider leaving some cattle untreated so that we have these refugia or these untreated or parasites that haven't seen an anthelmintic present. Um, stick with one anthelmintic. If you think it's not working, then certainly do some more investigation, but try not to just throw the whole book at it and you know figure, well, if we give enough di different dewormers, that'll be good enough. Uh, and then pasture management, allowing that pasture some time to be uh, free of animals and not be overstocked and not be overgrazed. Uh, if we have a, a higher uh, higher grass length, we have just a little bit of a decrease in transmission between animals as well. So if we're not allowing that to be just grazed almost right to the roots, um, and allowing some time for rest between groups of animals that decreases our transmission in the pasture as well.
Thanks for that summary. That's a that's a great couple of different facets of um, control to, to look at there. Thanks for joining us today, Jessica, and thanks for sharing your um, expertise and research uh, findings with us for, for the network. Uh, producers, if any producers are looking for information, I um, encourage you to reach out to your herd veterinarian to discuss the uh, situation on your own farm. As well, we have a recent article for the Ontario Animal Health Network released in our recent Q4 report, which covers all the highlights of this control project. So thanks for joining us. For to find more um, information and Owen resources, I encourage you to check out uh, owen.ca as well as follow on social media for all the latest um, resources and surveillance reports. Have a great day. Thanks.